Hello, podcaster. It's Charlie here with the Business of Podcasting show. And in today's episode, I'm joined by James Shremko of the Superfast Business Podcast. Now, James is an absolute veteran in this space. He's been podcasting for more than 10 years. Can you believe it? And he's got so many insights and great ideas that he shares on this podcast, which I think will really help you with your own show. So just to give you an idea of what's to come in this episode and why you should really dig into it, James goes in depth about about how a podcast is the ultimate conversion tool for a business. And I really agree with him on that point. And he makes some really strong case for why that is true. The next thing, James talks about how he's had to innovate and evolve his own show and how he plans to do that in the future so that he can stay at the top of his game. And I think this is really insightful. From my point of view, I love seeing where the best in podcasting are taking their show in the future because there's often some really great hints on what we should be paying attention to or what you should be paying attention to with your own show. The next part, James goes into is how much content he makes and where the sweet spot is for how many shows you should do per week or per month, which I think is a really big insight as well. And then he goes into depth about how when he's combining his email list and getting people onto his email list, that's becoming the one-two combo. He's getting people to view his show and consume his show, moving them onto his email list. And then between those two, It's driving massive revenue for him in his business, which I think is just sensational. Now, if you do enjoy this episode of the show, please make sure to subscribe so you can get future episodes from this. And if you do need any help with your podcast, please head over to valamedia.com. I'll put a link wherever this video is so that we can give you a hand with helping you to grow your show as well. Now, let's head into the episode. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Welcome to the show, James Stranko. How you doing, James? Doing very well, thank you, Charlie. I just got myself an air fryer, so thank you for your inspirational uh, Instagram pictures of air fried sweet potato chips. They have resulted in a purchase in this household. I tell you what, I actually don't know many purchases at under two hundred dollars that have brought as much joy to my life as an air fryer. I think they're a winner. You clearly don't have as good an air fryer as I have, Charlie. He's <laughs> <laughs> gone the whole hog. Well, this thing, I mean, may- maybe it makes cappuccinos as well, but uh, I'm very keen to try it out as soon as we get off this call. I, I was a bit sceptical of my air fryer. Maybe I didn't lash out because I was like, you know, the claims were pretty big and um, I'm, I'm a big potato fan. Like, I'm, you know, sweet potato chips, potatoes. I'm like, oh, that- maybe they won't be as good. No, it's coming at me from multiple angles, you know, which is a relevant conversation for this um, because you're probably thinking, what does air fryers have to do with online marketing? But I've seen you posting about it on social media and I know they fuel your bicycle rides. I've seen a friend of mine, Clint, who's very into health, posting his ones. And this guy, he's very plant-based. He he fights inflammation. So I'm okay, now I've got the health angle, I've got the fitness angle, and then I saw it in a Facebook group from a healthy eating, uh, diabetes type group that a, a client of mine runs, where they're talking about, is it okay to have air fried food because you're taking the water out of it, is it still all right, you know, because it's got denser calories. But my point is, I've seen it now from three separate places, 
and it's starting to make me think I need an air fryer. And I call this my GPS triangulation technique. If I see or hear about something from three completely unrelated sources, there's got to be something to it. I couldn't agree more. Isn't it fascinating how the way we purchase things has really transitioned in the last few years, particularly? That recommendation or listening to conversations like this, like I'll guarantee we've just been that third trigger for someone who's listening to this podcast now. I mean, there's air fryers going down all across town now. Like we might have just been the domino that tips it over. Uh, You know, and a mentor of mine actually taught me this through bad behaviour. He would explode at things. He'd come into the showroom. I used to run the Mercedes-Benz dealership and he would go over to a salesperson's desk and he would just uh, fire off uh, a Coke can. Maybe the the sales rep had a Coke can on the desk and the the owner of the business was irate and he would just, he would kick the the can across the showroom, like even hitting cars and spraying Coke everywhere. But I realized that it wasn't just the Coke can. Like that was the last little tipping point of all the things that must have happened. And if you if you dig into the backstory of this guy's day, you'll find that he got an invoice he didn't expect or he um, had someone park across his car spot or his airplane was delayed or his food wasn't quite right. But this Coke can was the the explosion, you know, that last little domino to tip it over. Uh, so I think it's really fascinating and that's why I like a multimedia approach and uh, syndicating content and being in it for the long haul because I've experienced people take eight or nine years to make a purchasing decision when they've just got that one extra piece of content to get them over the line. It can really make the difference. Now, James, you're one of the few, and it would be very hard to find many people that have been in podcasting as long as you. You've been running this gauntlet, I'll call it, for the last (laughs) 10 years. And I think your data set or your GPS, so to speak, on podcasting is quite unique because people that have only been in it recently only really understand maybe the last year of it. But I feel like you've got such a view on how it's developed and how it's been such a great asset for business. So I wanted to ask you, what led you to podcasting initially? What made you go down this route? Um, actually, it's, it's tied a little bit to some of your um, backstory, Charlie, because I used to listen to experts via uh, cassette. You know, so back in the 90s, I used to listen to Brian Tracy on audio cassette. And I had a, a rich client actually gave me a, a big. Um, box of cassettes and there was everything from Zig Ziglar to Maxwell Maltz to uh, Peter Drucker. It was all these classics and I loved them and I played them until I actually wore them out. Um, And then I was listening to, there was some Anthony Robbins stuff and then there was Brad Sugars, right? And I know you've interviewed him before. And I, I remember he's had a story about being in his bedroom and just putting in a a cassette player and recording information products. So when I started online, uh, when I bought a laptop and trying to figure out how to build a website, I was obsessed with trying to figure out how to get audio onto the internet. Back then it was really hard. You had to have these like Swift players and it was, there was no SoundCloud. You don't just load stuff up and it plays. In fact, the internet speeds were well, they're probably faster than what I've got now, which is ironic, but they were slow, it was dial-up, um, the tech was hard to put it onto your website. 
So I just thought that maybe I'd be creating information products and a part of that would be having audio and that kind of led me to the point where I purchased a little handheld cassette recorder like uh, they used in uh, lawyers' offices, a dictaphone. And I remember uh, when I was on a speaking circuit uh, with John Carlton at one point, 10 years ago now, uh, I said, can we go back to your hotel room? And uh, he looked at me funny and I said, and could I ask you some questions and record them and publish them on my website? And he said, yeah, sure. Uh, so that was my first podcast. But before that, I actually created information products. I'd interviewed um, a, a guy who was a specialist at AdWords with pay-per-click marketing. And uh, I that's why I bought that recorder. I sat down with him on a weekend and I recorded him talking about it. And I sold that as an information product. It was called Superfast PPC. I'm talking about 12 years ago, maybe. And, uh, and I'd loaded up the files and people could download them onto their computer and then play them back. I hadn't worked out how to stream them at that point, but then streaming came. And then uh, later, years after I started playing the streaming version on my site, I actually submitted my site to Apple and it became a podcast on the iTunes platform and it actually backdated several years worth of recordings. So I actually started recording before I was a podcaster. Sensational. And what a first guest, John Carlton, just, you know, really picking someone from the uh, crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Sensational. Um, One of the things, I've been a long-time admirer of your show and I've listened to quite a few episodes and something I think you do incredibly well is you ask incredible questions. I actually think you're one of the best question askers, if that's a thing, um, that comes across in the podcast game to the point where if there's a guest I've heard on another podcast but they've been on yours, I know that I'm going to get different and probably uh, more interesting questions from you. So I wanted to ask, how do you decide what questions you're going to ask or come up with for your guests? Uh, Well, I I don't do much prep. Uh, That's not always the case, though. For example, I got an introduction today for a guest who I am going to interview, and I've been researching this guest. I've been checking out her content, and I've opened up a notepad, and I've, I've started jotting down some questions that I'd like to ask. But that's quite rare. Generally, when I do my um, sort of hook up with the person to do the interview, uh, if they've got a book, I will have read the book. Uh, I will have done some basic looking around. But generally, I'm going to ask them what they're really interested about, what they love talking about, what they haven't shared before that they'd like to. And I am trying to be the journalist. I want to find the story that hasn't come to light yet because as a consumer, uh, if I listened to podcasts, which I don't uh, anymore very often, uh, then I just don't want to bore people with the same dribble that's been on every other podcast. Uh, so firstly, I don't even look for people who have been on every other podcast. That's something in my filter. I try and break new people on my podcast. So I've focused less on getting famous people who probably aren't going to share your episode anyway. And I focus more on finding the stories that should come out more like a smaller regional TV station or a, you know, one of those government channels where they've just breaking good stories. So I've developed a little more of a journalistic instinct in the last few years. And one of the podcasts that I did listen to 
my book writer, uh, Kelly Exeter, helped me. She sent me to this one and it was Ira Glass talking at the Sydney Opera House. That was probably the best podcast episode I've ever listened to. And he was just grilling people and teaching them how to ask better questions and how to go past the obvious story and don't ask the obvious questions. Uh, and he gave some great examples and he had them submit homework and then he just shredded them. And I learned so much from that one podcast. And since that podcast, I'd say that was the turning point where my podcast improved. And I've just got two KPIs really. One is I want to find out something that no one else has ever found out. And I think I got that recently with Jay Abraham. So I'm very excited about that episode to come out because he's done a lot of podcasts, but he's never answered the questions that I've asked him. And the second thing is I want the guest to say the following words. That is a great question. That's my KPI. If I don't get that in an interview, I may not even publish it because I haven't reached my benchmark. That's the only thing I'm looking for. And Jay Abraham said that in the interview as well. So I was very pleased with that one. And that was an important one for me because he's someone who I've followed for decades and have uh, modelled a lot of the concepts in my business around some of the things he's shared, not just publicly, but privately with me in one-to-one conversations. And he's sent me materials that he has never published. And it gave me a big responsibility when I'm interviewing him. I have a unique window to him that others don't see. And I wanted to put some light on that and to let him out of the, the box a bit to, for others to see the, the person that I've got to know. I think that's such an important point. And you've just like dropped an absolute nugget of gold for what I think the potential podcasters out there. Unfortunately, this is a mistake I see way too often is people just having the same interview. It's kind of like the guest will come on someone's podcast and then they're actually running the podcast. They just hit the same oh, the stories. Guest has and an posts. agenda. They've, they've, they're just trotting it out like a movie star doing the hotel with the 57 journalists rolling through every 15 minutes. And you can tell when they're not into it or they're just going through the motions. I hate that. Absolutely. And I look forward to this Jay Abraham interview because exactly here, it's like it's almost a guarantee to be something unique and interesting that will be um, fascinating from my perspective from there. It was so interesting when I did it because in the interview, he's shouting out to his assistant saying, we've got we to gotta, um, gotta stay in touch with James. And then he's like sent me messages after the interview saying, can you please send me that recording? There was something really important in it that I that uh, you gave me an idea and I want to follow it up. And so I felt like it was a success in that regard. I was, it was giving me a little bit of sort of tingles that I'd, I'd put so much uh, expectation on myself and I did the work and I think I delivered on it. But, you know, of course, my opinion doesn't matter whether people like it or not. It's up, up to them and that's really who matters the most in terms of the podcast, the audience. Yeah, absolutely. The the core audience has got to be looked after from there. Now, in your in your journey, you've been podcasting for, as we've referenced, 10 years now. And I'm really curious because the game has changed a lot. How have you had to evolve your show or change your strategy with podcasting to stay relevant or promote or be around in this industry? Well, uh, um, it's a great question, Charlie. You can tick that box. <laughs> tick that. Yep. KPI done. Excellent. We'll publish this one. Um, yeah, publish this one. 
look, when I started the podcast, people didn't have iPhones and devices. So, I mean, that's been a prolific change. And then, of course, podcasts have become popular and everyone wants to do a podcast. So back in the day, <laughs> sound like such an old timer. You know, I was ranking the top of the business charts and it was great. I was getting 65,000, 75,000 downloads a month. I've seen that slowly come down a bit. And it's just so many podcasts. So when you get to that saturation point and everyone's starting a podcast, it's, you know, like I was talking about this at Traffic and Conversion Summit maybe six years ago uh, for anyone who would listen. It was the sideshow as well. It wasn't even a main event at that time. Um, my one with, with Ezra. It was great fun. Uh, so what's changed is I had to become better at asking questions. I had to be a better storyteller. I had to um, pay attention to which ones are resonating with my audience. And more than anything, I've leaned into my own gut instinct and that has been I've avoided running ads. I'm not trying to get on the bandwagon and make all of my money from turning my podcast into free-to-air radio like a lot of others. Uh, I, I didn't. I also didn't want to be formulaic and have the same thing. There's a popular podcast out there that has the exact same questions on every single show. And like, and even though it quotes big download numbers, I know people wear out after just a few weeks because it's just as boring as anything. So I've resisted the urge to get comfortable. I've resisted the urge to be to do what's popular and common. And I guess just uh, true to my form, I've been fairly counterintuitive. I don't have intros or outros. I don't have ads. I don't do pre-interview interviews because, I mean, as a guest, that just drives me nuts. I feel like all my best stuff's gone by the time we get to the actual interview and it's so time-wasting. Uh, and I don't make my guests do all the work. I don't have any expectations on them to share it, but it's great when they do. And um, I want to pursue guests who would never normally get on there. I mean, I have pastors who only just came online a year ago sharing their first success stories. I've even made uh, a great niche out of having unremarkable case studies. Everyone's trying to talk about their $20 million a year and stuff, but guess what? It's unrelatable to the bulk of the people listening to the podcast. What about the person who started from scratch and somehow managed to uh, not work the second job or make an extra few thousand dollars a month or to finally prove to themselves that they're not the loser that their father said they would be when they grow up? You know, those are the stories I want to bring to the market. And thankfully, I still have a really avid listenership uh, without ever having paid to get people to listen to my podcast and uh, without ever having to monetize it uh, to support it. The podcast was started to sell my programs and products. I'll be honest about that. I never started because I'm an artist or I'm creative or I feel like I've got such journalism to bring to the world. Not at all. I started it to make money. I started to sell my products and to drive traffic. But what I've discovered is there's probably no better conversion tool on the planet than a podcast. Because if someone commits to listening to you for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes or an hour and they do it over and over again, they will rack up hundreds of hours. They know you so well. You've had the power to demonstrate what you're on about. They know your character. They know your preferences. They know if you're full of crap. 
They know if you have good answers to questions. They can then jump into your back catalogue and your other things. And then like our triangulation uh, discussion at the early part of this um, conversation, they start to build enough evidence to know that there's almost no risk to be able to go ahead and to buy something from this person because they've already been able to get results before paying a cent in many cases. Yeah, I love that so much. Um, I think, you know, I love the honesty here about like if you're a business owner and you're starting a podcast, like I don't think there's many artists out there that are trying to fulfill that need. So we can all be honest, like we're doing this because we want to create a growth engine for our business. Well, we are, but that being said, I've often spoken to blogging communities and there's plenty of creatives and artists. Like the talent in those communities is so high. They're so creative. they're great at design, they're very thoughtful, they can write well, they have beautiful pictures. They're just not good at making money in some cases, uh, in many cases actually. Um, so that's been fascinating to me, that they actually come at it from a completely different discipline than what I started because uh, I'm more pragmatic and to a large extent I think I'm way less talented than most of the people that I speak with in blogging communities at the the craft of creating the content, uh, I'm just more persistent. Like you said, I've been at it for 10 years. So uh, over time, I'll win, even if I'm not the best or the most creative. But I'm definitely trying to improve. And I don't even like the sound of my own voice, Charlie. That, that's important to put out there. I'm not a performer uh, or an artist. I'm just a business person who wants to share the message because I know that generates sales and creates value, and I'm cool with that. Excellent. And it's fascinating about the blogging community there. Now, you've referenced that a podcast is perhaps the best conversion tool out there. I believe it is, but we'll say perhaps just in case anyone's, you know, a little bit skeptical here. But being that's the case, how have you been able to successfully take people from your podcast and subscribership into, let's say, a member of your community or other products or services you may be selling? Uh, just water torture, Charlie, just wearing them down over over time. <laughs> no. I mean, basically when we publish, we publish across multiple platforms and eventually people will subscribe in whatever, whatever wherever they're feeding off that podcast, whether it's iTunes or uh, website. But most paths lead back to my website and my email list. And the email is my number one conversion tool. And the number one conversion event is our help desk, our support desk, uh, interestingly enough. Some of the email sequences uh, encourage people to ask a question. And when they do, it allows us to assist someone to find the right solution. So that's been an interesting one for us. Email is the powerhouse in my business. And to get people an email, we use content upgrades, uh, which is the name they give it now. We didn't have a name for it back then. It was just value-adding. Uh, but we would let you know encourage people to opt in for something to to get more value. In the early days, you could do that with just a transcription. But these days, uh, you know, a PDF or a cheat sheet or a guide or an action plan or a condensed summary of the podcast is probably more valuable. And then if you build up a body of work like I have, uh, because we've published quite a few episodes on superfastbusiness.com, I think <laughs> I think I'm up to getting close to 690 uh, so far. And um, we've got some 
that actually perform better than others. And when we find those, what we do, Charlie, is we build them into navigation. So they'll be featured on the sidebar widget and on the uh, on the piece of real estate just below the navigation, but above the content, which some people call a hello bar, because I think that's probably the most popular tool people use for that. You can lead people from those places into your highest performing opt-in content, which then allows you to, to place people into an email sequence, and then you can sift and sort using some intelligent sequences and tags to identify if these people are new to you or if they're current customers, and if so, customers of what, and what have they bought that they that uh, they already have, what don't they have that they might want, and you can make these suggestions uh, at the right time to the right person using uh, cool software. Nothing too tricky either. It's so simple, even I was able to set it up <laughs> after about a half a day of checking it out, and we use Entreport for that, but there's plenty of tools that can do CRM. Isn't that fascinating? I've actually recorded, this is my second recording of the day, and in both circumstances, content upgrades. So this is something to accompany your episode of the podcast that people can subscribe to, and the email list being the point of sale have been the common threads. And this is something I've heard numerous times, but the reason I'm highlighting this is I think that's an absolute gold nugget for anyone I who's not- I think it's missing. You've got a tough sell moving someone from a podcast to an order page. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Now, James, I think of you as someone who's got the, your finger on the pulse in a lot of these industries here. And I'm curious on your opinion on people that are maybe a little less, how can I put this, a little earlier on in the journey. So for someone that's thinking about starting a podcast or maybe they're 20, 30, 50 episodes in, has the ship sailed in podcasting or is there still room to grow shows here? Uh, <clears throat> there's always room. I think, you know, it's easier now than it was before. And it doesn't matter if there's lots of people out there, you can still do it your own way. Just avoid doing the same thing that everyone else has done. Like I'm constantly innovating. That's the one thing I committed to when I quit my job, which is about 11 years ago. I will commit to constant innovation. I will, will keep my finger on the pulse and I will change uh, because I followed Peter Drucker uh, who was a very, very smart guy. Like he predicted in the late 60s, he was talking about the knowledge worker, that one day we will get paid for our knowledge, you know, from home. And uh, here we are with the internet and we can podcast anywhere. So, so be careful about uh, making sure that you differentiate and that you bring something to the table, whatever that is. And it doesn't even have to be that much. And also except that you probably won't have a huge following the first week you publish your stuff. <laughs> like every new publisher, whether, whether you're running an ad, whether you publish a new show or put up a new website, it's absolutely shattering when you do that and you realize there's no one watching. Like it's crickets, ghost town. Even when I started doing daily videos again uh, about a year and a half ago, I didn't expect anything to happen for the first six months. And not much did. I was getting five views, 10 views, 15 views. But I can tell you, Charlie, one year later, I had I got up to a $27,000 per month recurring income from the videos I'd done for the first 12 months. And they snowball and compound. So you've got to have a long-term approach if you're going to do it. But at the same time, if, you, if you're not feeling it and it's not, you're not in the right space where you've taken the wrong premise and you know it, 
you should switch it out. As soon as you know you're on the wrong track, you don't get any brownie points for going further down the wrong track. So if you recognize that, if you realize that, that you're in the wrong, you've got the wrong premise or the wrong show name or the wrong co-host or you're just in a space you don't even want to be, then pull up stumps, you know, it's too competitive for you to chip away at it forever and to, to get even worse off. So there is that there is that ability to realize when you're on the wrong track. So I'm not a fan of pivot, 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 but I'm also I think the, one of the worst pieces of advice on the internet is, you know, just take action, any action and just keep going, never give up, never, ever, ever give up. Well, really sometimes you should give up because if you're walking away from the watering hole in the desert, uh, you're not going to get a drink if you keep walking. That is such a good comment. And I really feel like today, as you've referenced, that it's never been easier to have a podcast like at all. Like the tools and things that are available, it's almost too easy because you can do it so just there. So to start a new it's show. A low barrier to entry. So you got to have something else. Well, it's easy to start a new show. It's easy to change if you've gone down that wrong direction. There's there's no reason to stick it out. It's not like there's a commitment to holding onto a show that isn't working from there. Yeah, and that, you know that's um, sunk cost is what brings a lot of business owners down. It's too too long, and you've done it, Charlie, and I've done it too. I mean, I've closed, I've turned off five thousand dollar a month income streams because I've realised that that's a dead end at the end of the journey, and I could see it in advance. Like. Um, a classic example was the first product that I sold as an affiliate. I was one of the top affiliates in the world for this product and it was the first product I made $100,000 with in commissions. I was up to ten grand a month but then it started to taper off and then I realized that this product was starting to not become the best product in the market and I believe so strongly that I should align my values to making sure the customer's getting the right product that I switched off a 5k a month income to switch to a better solution that I would have to start from scratch with, which over time I built up to even more than 10 grand a month and then even sold that business. Uh, but it, 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 it was a values call and I could realize that no matter how lucrative it is to sell this product, it's no longer the, the, the tipping point has come uh, to, to quote uh, Seth Godin, uh, you know, or, uh, sorry, Malcolm Gladwell, or the the um, the dip, Seth Godin. There, there's a point where you really have to switch to the next thing, and you'll go down before you go back up, and that's hard to do. It takes discipline, and I've done this several times online, where I've turned off a valid income stream to start from scratch and to build a stronger one later. But you need some strong confidence and belief in that, but you also have to be able to switch off a sunk cost and know that you're not going to get where you need to get to sometimes. You'll have to get out of the vehicle. You like you stop, get out of the vehicle, get into another one that will get you to the next destination. You need a rock-solid mindset to make those types of transitions because the doubt can definitely creep in. You do need rock-solid mindset or you need someone with a rock-solid mindset to be at your side helping you make decisions, Charlie. De definitely. And uh, as a side note, thank you for that, James. You've helped me a couple of times through that. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is where are you planning to take your show in the future? Have you got plans or changes you're looking to make or innovate as you've referenced here? Well, one of the things I've done uh, at the time of recording this, we've uh, been really successful with a two 
per week frequency. That was something I committed to earlier in the year because looking at my stats, I know for my audience and my show, that seems to be the right sort of rate where they pay attention and don't fade. And it makes um, more activity than if we just do one. And I can easily maintain two episodes a week. So we're on. A, we're going to be doing 100 shows in the year 2019. And we've almost finished recording that. So it's going to happen. And it's built me a nice sort of, I've got a nice buffer for the first time in the last 10 years that I could remember where I'm actually ahead in shows. I think I'm like 20 shows ahead. I never, I used to just be off the seat of my pants, you know, like I didn't release a show on the exact same time or day every week like a lot of other people for many years. Uh, and even stopped for a while and then started again. So I've built consistency in. So that's an innovation for us. I've built the two a week as a, as a consistent benchmark and we're really getting some groundswell from that. I'm seeing our charts start to move again and we're working much more on having our package shared by our guests. So we're, we're really good at that. And I'm also working harder on guest selection and the research phase. So I really want to get in there with punchier questions. I want... Um, more traction with with our listening audience i want guests that really resonate and i'm being much fussier i mean as you know you get approached every single day people wanting to be on the show but my show is not a soapbox for wannabe marketers with their new product trying to get in front of my audience and and there's not a facility for them to pay me to do that like there is with some of the other shows and i I don't know if many people realize this, but some of those popular shows, the guests have paid to play. They're paying to be on there. So I want to keep my show organic. I want to keep it real. And I'm working much harder with my team on the social shares and the way we package the post-production to get it out in front of people. Um, so one thing that we're just innovating right now, and I did it in this show, is we're starting to tease upcoming episodes before they get published to see if we can build some tension and anticipation and have people start subscribing before the show even gets there. So that's my latest innovation. James, there's so many points in that that we could dive deeper into. Um, one of the ones, though, I think we should quickly reiterate here is like I think it's fascinating that even in this interview you've referenced uh, your questions you ask, like finding the real story. And then later it's come up that guest selection. And I feel like that's the left, right. It's like the right guest with the right questions or the right narrative or things from there actually is what puts together a quality show. Like it puts yeah. together something really unique. And if you, um, I don't want to use bad words here, but if you so-called um, just let anyone into your show or whore it out, so to speak, that you have the real ability to disencourage your listeners and turn people away because it comes across as tacky and like you're disrespecting your audience. It's total disrespect for the audience. They're, they're shills, you know, they're just, they're just, um, you know, like artists or creative people, uh, they'd say they're a sellout. I, mean, I don't have an issue with people <laughs> making money from their show. I make plenty of money from my show, but not directly, indirectly. Uh, and it's all, you know, it's a choice. It's a personal choice. And good luck to them if that's what they want to do. But that's not something I'll allow myself to do. I have a natural curiosity and I would like to think that I could bring any guest on my podcast and find something that makes it extra special. 
And the podcast that I'm going to be doing shortly with a new guest who I've been quite interested in lately, I've said to her that I will be working hard to ask her things she's not shared before and to find a new way uh, to highlight her strengths and um, things that, you know, lessons that she's learned. And often it's me processing and synthesizing their catalogue and finding the hooks they can't see themselves in the same way that a copywriter will do when they help me write a sales page for my own stuff. I recently reread the sales page for Superfast Business and it was so good that I needed to increase the rates of my membership because I felt like it was undercharging for the value someone gets. They were able to package me better than I would package me. I want to package my guest better than they can package themselves by being that outsider with perspective and curiosity, but also to be able to match that up with my unique data set of having coached thousands of people over the last 10 years. I know what people want to know to a large extent. I know what they ask me when I sit in front of them at a local meetup every single month. Uh, I answer, I literally answer over a thousand questions every single month for 10 years straight. So I match that with the material who I have to work with. And I think that's the unique thing I bring to the table. And if anything I ask them yields a fantastic answer, then I'm the first person who learns, which is a tremendous benefit of having a podcast. But also I want my audience to have a great time and to value it because if we're not already there yet, it won't be far until we get much deeper analytics into how long people listen to episodes for because that's been the missing element and that's why advertisers have been getting ripped off when they pay for you know, X number of downloads because it might count a download if it just trips the meter for 30 seconds but i can i agree with you charlie people are gonna they're gonna steer off those homogenized pay-to-play boring podcasts for sure oh i'm actually waiting for this technology to come through i really am to come through and even apple i'm seeing it but there'll be much more on this well, that's one of the things I must say, though. I have been loving um, using our video content. So this podcast is recorded as video and very grateful to YouTube and uh, Facebook because they actually let us know which episodes are not only being viewed but how much is being consumed. So oh, I feel like that's been a where it's viewed, You want to see the spike on the Facebook playback. Wherever those spikes are, whatever's being talked about there, unless there's a sound problem and you can't hear the person and they're trying to re-listen to it, <laughs> That is what you should zoom in on the next podcast. It's a great way to find what's performing within your content and at what point. So another nugget's been dropped here, James. Now, I James- have my team go back through all our Wistia videos and look the heat maps and see what people like and don't like. And I edit them into my next conversations. It's another really powerful strategy here. So the the big takeaway I'm getting is like to really dig into your stats here and look for those anomalies so you can, I suppose, self-correct your own show or highlight the best parts of your own content to do more of it. Yep, it's called optimization. (laughs) Excellent word. Now, James, I know we're getting pressed for time here because you're off to do a silver circle call with your premium coaching clients. Where's the best place for people to come and learn more about you and check out your podcast? superfastbusiness.com. Charlie, there is a um, a tab on that site called podcast. And if you click on that, you will have a single page with every podcast I've ever done on that particular uh, website. So there's 
going to be a lot. And you can use the search tool. This is my tip. Use the search tool and type in a question you might have right now about your biggest challenge in business. And I'm almost certain there'll be several podcasts on that topic that you could dig into right now. That's how you optimize my podcast. Well, guys, we'll make sure we have a link in the description as well, but head over to superfastbusiness.com. And I really want to encourage you to check out James's uh, show because even if you just want to go through and analyze the way he asks questions or run, I think there's a lot of advantages to do that. And then the content itself is uh, world-class. So thank you for coming on the show, James. My pleasure. And I think there is actually a podcast on uh, questions you can ask on a podcast. (laughs) Do you know what? I've listened to that and I thought it was a great episode. So thank you so much for joining me on the show. This has been another episode of the podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. 